PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, welcome to the new year. Today's episode is the first episode of January, and that means I've got a guest interview for you, and I'm really excited about it. Today's guest is Christy Maloney. She's a dietitian and founder of Enhanced Nutrition Associates in Charlotte, and I've worked with her and I really respect her thoughts, her opinions, and her wisdom about reorienting our relationships with food and our bodies. In this episode, we're going to be talking about that in a healthy way, but we're also going to be jumping into thoughts about disordered eating and full-blown eating disorders. Just a heads up. Now, January is a time that lots of people are setting new goals for themselves and resolutions, and very often that has to do with our bodies and our food, so I thought that this was a great time to have this conversation. Christy is a wealth of knowledge, and she's really fun. P.S. We also talk about the Enneagram at the end, because you know I love the Enneagram. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think that you guys will too. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Christy, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you because we've known each other for a couple of years and worked together for a while. So I'm really excited to pick your brain on this podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself and share just anything you'd like people to know about you? Sure. My name is Christy Maloney. I'm a registered dietitian and more specifically a certified eating eating disorder specialist. Um, I have a history of working in hospitals, clinical care. Um, I've worked for four years at a PHP level of care, so higher level of care for eating disorders. And then the last six years have been an outpatient private practice, four of which I've been with my company, Enhanced Nutrition Associates, where I treat people with um, eating disorders, disordered eating, that kind of thing. So that definitely is my specialty niche. Very cool, which we're going to talk about today. Perfect. (laughs) I especially wanted to have you on in January because Mm -hmm. you and I both know that that tends to be Maybe it's not the peak time, but kind of in a way, the peak time for people talking about dieting, about their bodies, about wanting to set new goals and resolutions, all this stuff that they may or may not be able to actually stick to. (laughs) Some people can Mm -hmm. better than others. But I just wanted to start out the year and just have a healthy conversation about bodies, about food, with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about and is (laughs) well-versed in all of it. (laughs) So I'm excited to do that. So... I have worked with eating disorders um, off and on for over a decade. Um, That's not the Mm -hmm. crux of the population that I see, but I see I always have a handful and I've been trained. And just to put this out there, I had an eating disorder when I was in college and I've been Mm -hmm. recovered for many years and I'm thankful for that. But it gives me a heart and a compassion and an understanding for it, I think, that maybe somebody who hasn't had one themselves would have. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And so I know it from the therapy standpoint, but I'm not trained in nutrition, but I have worked (laughs) with many nutritionists, dietitians, excuse me, who (laughs) are not well-versed in it. And Mm -hmm. it's a different kind of uh, specialty area, I feel like, than the average dietitian. So for you, what got you into that group? Like what made you interested in eating disorders specifically when you looked into nutrition? Yeah. So when I went to school, the first go round, right, right after high school and into college, I got a degree in psychology and I found myself 
really drawn to that. Um, just studying that I think was just, you know, something I really enjoyed. Um, after college, when I went to work in banking, like we do in Charlotte, um, I didn't develop my own eating disorder. And I think kind of like yourself, a lot of us are drawn to this population when we are in recovery because of how much we can understand and, you know, have that compassionate heart for what people are going through. So had that kind of like early twenties, then um, decided to go back to school. And when I was deciding on that, I, you know, at the time, of course, I was super interested in nutrition, which was maybe like a little bit of fallout from my eating disorder stuff. But, you know, nevertheless, when I was deciding um, to go back to school for um, what I was going to do, it was either be a therapist or be a dietitian. Um, so I, I literally sat and kind of like pro conned, you know, what I wanted to do on either side. Um, ultimately wound up going back to school to be a dietitian, knowing that I wanted to work with eating disorders. Um, I think that when I was thinking of therapy, I was like, I don't know if I want to treat trauma because that sounds really intense to me, but I do like talking about eating disorders and psychology of food and things like that. So, you know, I kind of went back to school in late twenties and, um, went on to get my nutrition degree. So I think like the culmination of all of that long-winded story is that, you know, with a degree in psychology, you know, with having had my own eating disorder, with having just a really great understanding of, you know, how eating disorders work psychologically, um, and then adding in the food nutrition piece as a dietitian, you know, I knew that's what I wanted to do from, you know, the go as soon as I got my degree and licensure to be a dietitian. That's very cool. So I looked at the two and went the therapy route. You looked at the two and went the dietitian route. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you do some counseling. You do in a yeah, different kind yeah. of way, but for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. In talking to people, just the general population, it seems like to me that there's some confusion as far as what an eating disorder actually is. Like what is the fine line that crosses over from Maybe I don't have the best body image. Maybe I don't have the healthiest relationship with food, which honestly, in our culture, most people don't to like, I have an actual eating disorder or some disordered eating patterns. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you help us define a little bit what that looks like if people are confused about it? Yeah. So I really describe it to my clients as a spectrum. So on one end, right, we have intuitive eating. So that is a person that has a healthy relationship with food. They eat based on internal locus of control. So based on hunger and fullness cues, and they have a wide variety of foods. Foods don't give them anxiety. You know, they manage health conditions as needed through with food, um, but they're not overly concerned with it. You know, food is an enjoyable aspect of their lives. As we move more toward the center of the spectrum, then we look at disordered eating. So that would be, verging on that unhealthy relationship with food. So this might be somebody who is a chronic dieter, right? So we've gone on and off diets for many years. Um, There can be a lot of internal rules around food, you know, eat this, don't eat that kind of stuff. Um, It's shifting to a real external locus of control with food. So not relying on um, my body's internal cues, but what does this diet say I can eat, right? Do I cut out this food group or eat this many calories or this many carbohydrate grams? Um, so it's kind of like that. Um, when we're thinking about body image, I do want to come back to intuitive eating. So body image and in intuitive eating is likely to be more neutral to positive. 
So when we're defining body image also on a spectrum from negative neutral to positive, neutral body image means um, I don't necessarily love all the parts about my body every single day, but I can appreciate my body for what it does, right? Like I have legs, they walk me around. I have arms, they let me work and hug my kids. Um, But you might not always like how your legs look. You know, but that's that's body neutrality to body positivity being I love and appreciate and enjoy all aspects of myself. So coming back to the disordered eater, they're probably going to start to fall more on that body neutrality to body negativity place of, you know, they can appreciate the things their body do does for them, but there might be a hyper focus on I want to lose weight or I want to and I'm saying this with air quotes tone up specific areas <laughs> of my body. So more of a focus on how my body looks versus what it does for me and enjoyment of my body. So those are that kind of um, lumps together the disordered eater. So when we're moving more toward the other end of the spectrum, so we started in intuitive eating, middle part of the spectrum is disordered eating. And then if we're going to the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of eating disorders, that's where it becomes diagnosable. Um, so when we look at the DSM-5, and I know, Jenny, you can probably speak to this way more, way better than I can, but of the five diagnosable eating disorders, which are anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, OSFED, and ARFED, um, ARFED, that when we look at disordered eating, you're starting to look at those diagnostic criteria to see, like, do I meet the clinical um, uh, definition of anorexia or do I meet the clinical definition of binge eating? You know, I think that along the way, there can, you know, nobody generally falls into one of those three categories, like beautifully all the time. There can, Yeah, there can be like a little bit of movement back and forth across that spectrum. But, you know, I kind of say when you're moving from disordered eating into eating disorders, it is that diagnostic criteria. But the other things that I see um, are, you know, people that um, are using food heavily to cope or um, numb out, that kind of thing. I see people that spend, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask clients is how much of your waking hours do you spend thinking about food, weight, body image, movement, that kind of thing. And if I hear anything more than 20 to 30%, you know, if somebody's thinking that much about food, then that for me is an indicator that we might be verging more into that eating disorder realm. Mm -hmm. You know, I ask it, I ask that same question. Like how much of the that. time? Yeah, I don't say waking hours, but I'll like, what percentage of the time do you think? Yeah. And mm-hmm. almost always they're kind of shocked, you know, that I'm asking in that way. But when then they're like, like 50 to 75% at least. And that's yeah. a clear indicator. Like it's, it's really taken over your whole life. It's taking over so much of your mental space. I bet it's really hard for you to be present in a room and actually be focused on what other people are saying because- that eating disorder yes. voice has taken over a lot of your waking consciousness. <laughs> like that's what you're spending most of your time thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I, I do ask something kind of similar, like, does that make it hard for you to focus on school? Are you able to perform at work the way you want to? Um, and and I do agree that that is such a great way to highlight like the extent that they've kind of gone to and, and, no, well, I don't want to say that like um, accusatory, but just kind of like how loud that voice is and how much it is impacting their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Okay, so when we were growing up, I think the conversation around body image, which, you know, I was coming of age, like in the 90s, the early 2000s, um, it was all about like airbrushed images, like magazines, commercials, all that kind of stuff. What do you think nowadays? What like what are the big cultural influences when it comes to how people are perceiving their bodies um, and what they're trying to measure up to? Yeah, so I think, um, and I, like you, grew up in that time when it was, you know, I've seen so many things floating around social media, like, you know, it was super tall, super thin, you know, that was kind of like the body ideal at that point. You know, I've definitely seen, you know, one, social media is the biggest influence, in my opinion, on people's bodies these days. I think that, you know, from a body ideal, it's always interesting to watch how, that ideal, um, shifts and changes as we go through time. Um, and so now it's kind of like a, you know, I, I kind of describe it as like a curvy and only very specific places and like, that's okay. Um, and I saw, I'm sure you saw floating around me, social media too, where it's like the, and I'm using this as air quotes as well, super skinny bodies are kind of coming back in and just like, Oh no. But I think, you know, when we see that, when we see like, oh, super skinny bodies, like in the early 2000s are coming back in style, that kind of creates this panic for people to say like, oh, I don't want my body to be not right. So I'm also going to like lose weight to fit into this ideal. You know, that, that in social media is huge. And then of course, you know, we see other types of advertising, television, print magazines, things like that. I think a huge, um, influence in like how we perceive bodies or what's the ideal body comes from our family of origin. So if you grew up watching mom or dad or whomever try to lose weight all the time or kind of really putting a, a, an emphasis on having a thin body, then you grow up kind of thinking about that's the way to be. Um, and my body's wrong if it's not that. I don't know, that might even be more than social media, but it's social media and family of origin influences are my top two mm -hmm. um, with everything else kind of coming behind it. I do think that as we're looking generally, generationally, right? So um, baby boomers, I think, you know, which were our parents, were probably a little bit more diet culture-y than maybe we are as elder millennials. Um, I think, you know, generation Y is kind of moving away from dieting. And what I've really seen in my Gen Z clients is a lot more of body image acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hopeful, hopeful that that is more of a trend going forward, especially as, you know, we're learning over the course of time, how to filter out negative social, social media influences. But I think, especially for Gen Z, that's the that's the thing they're trying to fight against right now. Which, you know, that goes hand in hand with everything else about them, right? They're like, I, we're, we're tired of the norm. Like, let's be real. We're all about some authenticity. So here's me. <laughs> here's me and all my issues <laughs> for the world. <laughs> but it's so courageous. And I love that about mm -hmm. Gen Z, for sure. Yep. Same. So in helping people recover, I mean, I know some of the ways that I do, and maybe I'll share some of that, but what are some of the ways that you try to help people shift their thinking around food and their relationship with food? Yeah. So if we're looking at having a history of diet culture, disordered eating, or participating in diet culture and disordered eating, um, we know that a lot of times there are rules 
hardcore rules that come with that. So, you know, good foods, bad foods. So I'm good if I eat this, I'm bad if I eat that, which then people really take on as morality, like within themselves, you know, the shoulds and shouldn'ts, um, those kinds of things. What my goal is, is to help people view food as neutral. So I'm not good for eating this and I'm not bad for eating that. But more along the lines of if anything has a calorie in it, it's protein, fat, or carb, period. And your body knows what to do with it. And I know when some people hear carbohydrates, they think, oh, oh, bad, right? Like I shouldn't have this. But a lot of my work revolves around um, helping to educate people on what the different macronutrients do in our bodies reasons not to fear them, reasons to be inclusive of all the different food types and work toward incorporating those. Um, I do, you know, some, some kind of basic CBT stuff um, around, you know, if you're sitting with a meal and you're looking at your potatoes and you're thinking, oh man, these are so bad. I shouldn't be doing it. How do we kind of reframe those thoughts in a more food neutral um, way and look at food in terms of like what it can do for us? You know, I think a lot of what I do is helping people understand what they need for their bodies because, you know, culturally we have this obsession with, I want to eat the fewest calories as possible to sustain myself. And I think that a lot of people are genuinely shocked when they learn how much food they actually need. Um, so helping people see that and view food um, as a way to enhance their lives, you know, as a way to give them energy to do the things they want to do, but also, you know, not. I don't view food as just fuel, like it's that. And also it's, you know, soci socially how we connect with people. It's the way humans have always connected. And so I, you know, try to bring that aspect of it into to create, you know, a lasting, positive, sustainable relationship with food that's not stressful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> and usually it's kind of like one step forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, <laughs> because, mm -hmm. you know, recovery is really up and down, up and down, up and down. And some days mm -hmm. you feel it more than others. And some days you want to fight more than others. And so it's not like a, we do some CBT and then your brain is good, right? It's, it, no. it is a fight. It's a fight for sure. Yeah. I know. I tell people all the time, you know, we always hear recovery is nonlinear. And I tell clients all the time, I'm like, I wish I was so good that I could tell you this thing this once and you would believe it and you would be recovered. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. But no, <laughs> it takes a while, like you said, to retrain your brain to see things that differently. Yeah, I would say probably just in the last maybe two to four years, I'm changing a little bit the way that I'm talking about body image. Um more about our relationship with our bodies. And some of that is coming from trauma work that I've also learned along the same way. But with eating disorders, a lot of time there's a cutoff that happens in noticing what's happening with cues in our bodies, whether that be anxiety cues, whether that be trauma cues, whether that be hunger, which happens mm -hmm. with eating disorders and other kinds of cues. So just even like beginning to trust our bodies again and being able to recognize what those cues are being able to do them, recognizing, well, I call it Ed's voice, but I kind of let my clients choose what they want to name it. Mm -hmm. um, but recognizing those thoughts and how they're very different from the yeah. healthy kinds of thoughts that they used to have before they had disordered eating and being able to fight them a little bit better. So those are some of the ways that I'm beginning to shift the way that I'm doing it more so than just like, 
I don't know. I used to do just straight body image work, but now it's more about like, let's learn how to trust our bodies again, which is a lot of what intuitive eating is too, right? Learning how to trust your body. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I think, like you said, people get so disconnected and, you know, I know there's, there's many factors, but when I'm looking at it from like a food perspective, the disconnect um, that comes with that is so huge that a, a an integral part of changing relationship with food is absolutely changing your interaction with your body and how you honor what your body's telling you, Mm -hmm. um, which is key, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and speaking of bodies, that, (laughs) that is a hard shift to begin thinking differently about your body, especially, especially, I mean, I think in a way, teenagers have it really rough because they're right in the thick of it in a lot of ways and their bodies are changing and they feel very foreign and they're trying to figure out who they are and if they even like this body they've been given. Um, But I've worked with women in their 50s and their 60s who have struggled with thoughts for 40 years. And that's hard, too, in a different kind of way. Like, how do you change your relationship with your body or think differently? Yeah. What are what are some of the ways that you do that in your office? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I really view it from that framework of the spectrum of body neutrality to body, nope, body negativity to body neutrality to body positivity. Um, you know, one thing that I really like to help clients do is look at, okay, where am I on that spectrum? Right. Where can we pinpoint where we're at? Um, you know, where did you used to be pre-eating disorder? If you can remember that, um, And then where do, where do you think is realistic for me? I always kind of frame it as, you know, if we can shoot for body neutrality as a baseline, that's great. And then you'll have those days where you fluctuate up and down the spectrum where some days you feel great and some days you feel not so great. But if neutrality is the baseline, awesome, right? Like we can live there. Um, I like to go through with clients and really determine what body neutrality looks to them, but looks like to them, right? Is it that I'm able to participate in a specific sport comfortably? Is it that um, I can appreciate my body for letting me have children or I appreciate my body for letting me work or give hugs or like whatever things that they can identify as being important in their lives um, come back to that appreciation and body respect, which is huge. And, you know, I say a lot of times that, you know, you don't have to love your body to respect it and take care of it, but respecting it makes potentially loving it more possible, you know? Um, so really focusing then on, on what body respect looks like. And, you know, generally we define that as I'm going to nourish myself adequately. I'm going to hydrate. I'm going to get enough sleep. I'm going to get in some joyful movement. I'm going to do things that feel resting and relaxing to me. Um, and how to bring all of that in, because then, you know, when you feel physically better from the perspective of I have energy, I feel well, that body image is going to naturally generally shift toward more positive. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Especially the idea of the respect. That was a quotable quote. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so as we're beginning a new year and people are setting goals for themselves, maybe even unrealistic goals that they're trying to make themselves do, what are some of the pressures you'd want to take off the table for people as far as that stuff goes? So I would say, of course, we hear in January, um, I'm going on a diet, right? Like I'm dieting, I'm going to lose X amount of pounds. 
you know, whatever thing. I would encourage people, um, as I do with my own clients, to think about health-related goals, right? So somebody can think of a weight goal and say, I'm going to lose X amount of pounds and X amount of days following this diet. Or they can think of aesthetic goals that way, excuse me, Um, an aesthetic goal that way. That ultimately, end of the day, we know that 97% of people that diet gain weight back generally plus some. So that, you know, as much as people kind of think that weight loss and health are intertwined, it generally isn't because a lot of times people go to unhealthy measures to lose weight in an unsustainable way. So if we're thinking about like health oriented behaviors from a body respect, body neutral perspective, you know, let's define that as, you know, I'm going to nourish myself adequately and consistently throughout the day. If I have a health condition that needs to be managed through food, say diabetes or heart disease or something of that nature, I'm going to get with a dietitian or find myself some um, credible information on how to do that to take care of myself. Um, Focusing on joyful movement. Joyful movement is of the 10 principles of intuitive eating. It's one of the core principles talking about finding ways to move your body in a way that feels good. So if you hate running on the treadmill, but you're forcing yourself to pound out a few miles a day, Maybe that's not the one, right? Like maybe you would prefer some other thing. Maybe you like going to a group fitness class or you like walking outside with a podcast on, um, but finding something that feels joyful to you. So if we think about, again, movement being joyful movement, we think about nutrition being, I'm going to eat in a way that feels good, is adequate and supports my health. You know, then we look at hydration and sleep. Can I drink my amount of water I need? Can I make sleep a priority? All of those things are health promoting behaviors. So independent of weight loss, weight loss may or may not happen with those things. You're actually taking care of your health, um, which has way more long-term benefits. I love that. That is so good. Yeah, that's really great. I'm thinking about a client of mine (laughs) who (laughs) came up with her own goals kind of like that. Um, And she called it the three W's and it was walking, more water and writing because she knew that that. journaling was good for her. And I was like, that's so simple, but like easy to remember three Mm -hmm. W's. I love that. And so we just kind of check in like, how's that going? It's not perfect. Like, because none of us do it perfectly. Right. But if she walked a couple of times a week and she's been doing better with her water, we're like, that's awesome. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah. It's doable. Yeah. I love that. And and I think that is an important thing to note too. You don't have to do all the things all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't have to be nutrition and water. Like you said, with your client, you know, I'm going to focus on walking a couple times a week and drinking enough water. So breaking it down into those manageable parts is so critical. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Me too. Okay. So I know just to end this on a fun note that you love the Enneagram because I've seen you post about it quite a few times. Yeah. And I also love the Enneagram. So I take any opportunity to talk about it. Uh, how's the Enneagram helped you understand yourself better and your practice in the way that you work, work with people? Yeah. So I am a three wing two. Um, I am a hardcore three to the core of my soul. Um, I know that as a three, which is the achiever, I have to know what my blind spots are. Um, and for me, that is a tendency to take on more, than I can handle. And that's not like a tee I do too much. It's like legitimately, 
I will workaholic myself to the point of just like burnout. <laughs> um, so I have to like be very careful about that. I do know that as an achiever, a type three achiever, you know, it does help me in, um, in being an entrepreneur and private practice, because I think that to be, you know, an entrepreneur, you have to be self-motivated in a lot of ways. And I found that to be a really great asset, but then also not letting it tip to the point that it kind of crowds out everything else in your life. Um, so that's, that's the biggest ways that it's helped me. I think that I also have to watch out that I'm a pretty competitive person. So threes are notoriously pretty competitive and want to win. Um, so I have to watch out when I'm playing video games with my daughter. That I, <laughs> I don't, I don't let her win. I always tell her like, if you, if you win, you'll know you won. Cause I'm not going to let you beat me. Um, but I have to like take it down a notch <laughs> with people because I, I want to win. And then the wing two, just kind of being in this, it, you know, we're both kind of helpers in, in this field. And, you know, I think that that really helps me be compassionate and empathetic and, um, you know, bring like that kind of side to my clients. So I want me to do well. I want them to do well, but I also do it with kindness and compassion. I will say that in my practice, if I interview people, I ask them their Enneagram. <laughs> I'm like, so what are you? I'm like, I'm a three. These people are threes. This one's a nine. Like, what are you? And it helps me understand um, just from like a, you know, working together as a team perspective, how they would fit in, um, you know, maybe strengths and like more, more blind spots. Um, you know, I really found it to be very useful that way. With clients, some with some clients, I'll ask them, you know, what their Enneagram is or, you know, I'll use it. I did a um, Instagram series on the Enneagram of food and, you know, kind of help them with their Enneagram, understand how it could be impactful their relationship with food um, in a negative way. But then also, how can we use the Enneagram strengths to kind of shift their relationship with food in a way that feels kind of genuine and authentic to them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I actually saw that. I enjoyed that series. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> so I, I just have a couple of thoughts when it comes to eating in the Enneagram. Um, it seems to me, I mean, maybe I don't want to like overgeneralize this, but it seems to me that ones have the hardest time in recovery. Have you found that? Um, yeah, because the, the, I want to play by the rules. I want to do everything perfectly kind of thing. And that inner mm -hmm. critic that just won't shut up. Yeah. gets mixed yeah. up with Ed's voice. Yeah. It gets confusing. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really great point. Yes. So anyway, I've just kind of, I mean, I think let's be real. Any personality type can struggle with disordered eating. So that's not, a, that's not like, no. Right. <laughs> but when it comes to really getting stuck in that perfectionistic tendencies and having a hard time shifting kind of, it seems like a lot of my little ones struggle the most. <laughs> that that is so true that is absolutely true I agree with that for sure and then our fives are over there researching everything you're telling them like is this accurate did you have the latest nutrition science and then we've got our nines that are pleasing their way through treatment yes. <laughs> kind of like appeasing you as trying their to provider. keep you happy they're they're gonna mm -hmm. nod the whole time even if in their head they're still a little rebellious <laughs> oh yeah absolutely absolutely yes yeah. yes 
And then you've got threes that are like, I'm going to do recovery and I'm going to do it better than everybody else. And, you know, and that, that is not the way it goes. Like like we were talking about earlier, it's non-linear, but it can be hard as a three when you don't get it right off the bat. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I have seen few fives in my practice partly. Yeah. I just, they don't tend to show up in therapy for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) I have had a few sneak in, but there's, they're probably the least that I see. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. Uh-huh. But nutrition, that. like that's doable. You know, they don't have to get up in their feelings to do that. So you probably see. Oh yeah. It's black and white. And those are the ones that I know, like send me research articles, which I have zero problem with. I can absolutely do that. But I'm like, mm, here my five. We're going to give you a lots of info. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the Enneagram. If you're listening and you don't know anything about it, I really suggest you go check it out. It's really fun. It's helped me understand myself better, my own motivations and why I do the things I do. have more compassion for other people. I think sometimes it can be like a pop psychology, like a fun little hit on Instagram. But if you really get into it, it's super helpful for being with other people and having compassion for them. Yeah. Oh, I agree. My husband is a six through and through. And so he's a little bit of a pessimist, a little bit like, if you ruin my plan, I'm going to be really upset. And so it's helped me to understand him like, and not get frustrated with him because I'm like, okay, this is just how his brain works. Like I'll pivot and not make last minute adjustments or, you know, I'll kind of help him see that, you know, there are some positives to the situation. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I found it useful in all aspects of my life, mm-hmm. really. Yes, <laughs> me too. Mm-hmm. Well, Christy, if people want to find you and they want to know more, and I will just do a little plug for your Instagram account because it's so (laughs) helpful. I find it really helpful. I've given it to some of my clients before. I follow it. And the reason I like it is because you do have really helpful statistics out there, but you also talk about things that I feel like a lot of people are not talking about, you know, like a different voice than a lot of the other people maybe are saying in the eating world. Like, you know what you're talking about, things that are people are really struggling with when it comes to disordered eating and you call it out really well in a very succinct, easy to understand way. I think it's really helpful for people who love somebody who's recovering to understand them better. So I love your Instagram handle. So tell them about that, but also how they can find your practice and anything else. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for that. That's, that's my goal and aim. So to hear that it's being conveyed in that way makes me feel really good. Um, so my, my, personal professional Instagram handle. I don't know if that makes sense. It's an oxymoron, but at eating disorder dot dietitian. Um, so that's me. And that's the, um, page that Jenny's talking about. My business's Instagram handle is at enhanced nutrition underscore dietitians. Um, so that's where, you know, with me, you're going to find more kind of, um, body image, eating disorder, disordered eating kind of stuff. Um, through our, our company page, it's going to be, you know, some of that stuff, but then also mixed in, we've had series on gut health and um, sleep and um, child, baby led weaning, like that kind of stuff. So it's more like general nutrition information. So that's Instagram. Um, Our website is enhancednutritionassociates.com. So that has kind of links to all the dietitians that work with us and, you know, kind of what we do. Very cool. And I'll try to link to all that in today's show notes as well. Is there anything that you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to? No, I think that covers it. Those that's the my jam, food and body image. So that's I think we covered most of it. Yes. It was really fun to have you on. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Jenny. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Christy, for being on today's podcast episode. I really enjoyed chatting with you. I always do. And I also really appreciate your time and your wisdom that you shared with us. Friends, if you want to learn more about Christy, you can follow her on Instagram at eatingdisorder.dietitian. I will also link to her company's website in today's show notes. Well, friends, you know you can always find me online as well at the website pauserenewnext.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at pauserenewnext. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, what are you waiting for? Go subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, please tell a friend or rate and review it on iTunes for me. That helps new listeners find this podcast a little more easily. Thank you so much. I hope you'll join me again next Tuesday for a Soul Care Reflection episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.